Welcome to The Open Word, the online teaching ministry of Pastor David Landry on today's episode. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. So here, Paul, he goes to the Oropagus. But guys, he doesn't go there simply to debate with these other men with their philosophies and how Christianity would be better than Epicureanism or Stoicism. No, he doesn't go up there to debate that at all. He goes up there because he wants to make a difference in these people's lives. He wants to make a difference for the kingdom of God. He went there for the sole purpose, I believe, of opening up the hearts of these individuals to the message of the gospel, to share with them salvation that comes from Jesus Christ alone. How do you choose to live in and engage a pagan and sinful culture as a believer? If you angrily engage with antagonism and hatred to convince people they need saving, it'll simply drive people farther from Christ. Today, Pastor David explains how Paul entered into the pagan culture of Athens, not to debate or instantly condemn. He simply had a heart to share the gospel with all people, even those who engage fully in a sinful life. He used their cultural situations to enter into a conversation that exposed them to truth and love. And here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapter 17 as he begins his message confronting culture with compassion. We are in the book of Acts. We're going chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the book of Acts. We are actually in the middle of chapter 17 of the book of Acts. As you're getting there, though, I've got a few questions I want you to consider. I want you to ponder. Our nation is is changing so dramatically. Our culture is totally shifting from what it used to be. So my question to you, to each one of us, to me, myself, uh, actually, through all of this is, how do we actually deal with a culture that is so totally different? than what we're comfortable with? How do we deal with people who are different than we are? What's your response to those that, and they don't know, they don't claim to know, they don't even claim to care about Jesus Christ, about the word of God, the principle of God's plan and purpose. They just don't care about those things at all. How do you deal with those kinds of people? How are we, you and I, to live and exist in this ever-increasing pagan culture and still have the heart and the mind and the compassion of Christ for the people that are around us. Years ago, probably many of you remember uh, Westboro Baptist Church. You remember them? Westboro Baptist Church came to the headlines because of their, their, their absolutely antagonistic approach to the things that they saw that they weren't comfortable with. They were the ones that would go and they would picket at gay funerals. They would 
picket at military funerals. They would make statements like, thank God for 9-11, because that was God's judgment on America. They were the people who would go around with signs that say, repent or burn in hell forever. And then they would have scripture verses to back that up. I mean, every time I saw them, every time I heard of them, I often wondered, and how many people by that approach have you really won to the kingdom of God? Or have you simply built a wall higher and higher and higher? Acts chapter 17, I invite you to turn there. We're going to back up to verse 16. We're going to read there and we'll, we'll get into actually today's study. So Acts chapter 17, down in verse 16. Now, while Paul waited for them, and them is uh, Silas and Timothy, who he had left up in Berea. He's now in Athens. So while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him. And if you remember last week, we talked about that idea being provoked. It wasn't anger as much of it was just stirred up with great concern, stirred up with great concern. And we know that, uh, again, that, that aspect of that word because of what follows and how Paul deals with where he's at. His spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over, given over to idols. Therefore, because of that, because his spirit was, again, provoked, because he saw that the city was given over to idols, because of his concern for that, it says, therefore, he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. You see, Paul's Christianity didn't stay within the church walls. It, it didn't stay within the walls of those that would, again, understand and, and know as he read from them the Old Testament, as he shared with them the scriptures. No, he took it to the marketplace with those that happened to be there. Verse 18 tells us, then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. Share a little bit about who they are. We're going to touch on it real quickly, but these Epicurean, these Stoic philosophers, they encountered him, and some of them said, what does this babbler have to say or want to say? And others said, well, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods. God was so foreign to these people. The one true almighty God was so foreign. Now, the interesting thing about that is there's a synagogue in Athens. How much of an impact had that synagogue had on their culture? Apparently not very much. He seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And I shared with you this idea of the babbler was. It's kind of like a, a bird going and hunting for seeds here, a little bit there, a little bit there. They thought that's what Paul's teaching was. He was taking a little bit of uh, the Old Testament, and he's bringing in this new teaching, so he's kind of all over the map. Paul's teachings was, was new to them there in Athens, and again, it, it caught their interest. Uh, the particular group or groups there that we see they're interacting with Paul are the ones that are called the Epicureans and the Stoics, two very, very different groups. There's a lot that we could say about them, but just understand their, their lifestyles were different. Their philosophies of life were different, and even their concepts of the next life, uh, the hereafter, were totally different. The Epicureans, they, they have this philosophy, the, their basic 
premise was is that uh, pleasure was the chief goal in life. You just want to get out of life everything you can. Just, you just want to have a good time in life. That was the Epicurean mindset. Now, from where it began back in 300 B.C. to the time where Paul is, it had actually pretty well deteriorated almost to the point of hedonism. Well, to the point of hedonism. We saw it a little bit in the Greek culture, but once the Romans came, well, man, that was like uh, all restrictions were relieved from it, and the Epicureans, very, very hedonistic, and we see that within the Roman culture of the day. Now, because that goal was to have as much pleasure in life, again, the Epicureans, they sought to eliminate any kind of a fear of God's or fear of death. I don't want to be held responsible. I just want to go out and do whatever I want to do. I don't want to think that there's a God. I don't want to think that at the end of my life, I'm going to be held responsible for it. And you know what? We have that very culture today, don't we? People that just want to live any way that they want without any kind of responsibility, without any authority to answer to. That's the Epicureans. And they did not believe or give any thought to the afterlife at all. They just lived for the moment. Yeah, sounds a lot like our culture today. Then there's the Stoics. The Stoics were concerned, seemed to be totally opposite of the Epicureans. It was their philosophy that uh, personal ethics formed itself uh, through the system of, of logic uh, And because of their particular worldview, everything was logical. You would work through education and and knowledge, and and that would bring about the fullness of life. The more education you had, the more knowledge you had, the more you could deal with logic in life. Again, the better life that you would have. For the Stoics, their understanding on a spiritual level was pretty much what is called pantheism. Pantheism says that uh, God is in all things, and all things are God. So in other words, there's no one God that you're going to be held answerable to. There's no almighty God, the creator of all things in heaven and earth and everything that's in them. No, none of that. Just everything is God and God is everything. And why don't we just go on top of a mountain and enjoy, you know, fold our arms. And it was that kind of an idea that logic and order, that's what life is all about. So you have these two primarily opposing philosophies that are going on in Athens at this point in time. These guys were highly educated. There's no doubt. These were highly educated individuals that, again, covered both of these areas, both the Epicureans and the Stoics. And yet they were totally without God. Do we have that in our culture some today? I believe so. It's interesting, normally they spent their time debating with each other. But now here comes Paul and they want to hear this new teaching. What they had heard thus far from Paul, I believe there in the marketplace and uh, just probably the, the rumblings throughout the community, is that Paul was teaching that, there, yes, there is one true almighty God, and this one true almighty God, he's the one that deserves your worship. He's the one that actually desires to touch the hearts of all men everywhere. And in order to make that possible, this one true God actually sent his own son to die for the sins of all mankind everywhere. Now, you got to understand, for the Epicureans and for the Stoics, that is a wild concept. They, they can't even imagine that 
a God would do that. That's why they want to hear what Paul's teaching is about. And the teaching then even of the resurrection well, that was absolutely mind-blowing for both of them because both of them didn't want to deal with the afterlife at all. And now you're telling me there's going to be a resurrection? So they wanted to hear more. Look at verse 19. And they took him, they took Paul, and they brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. They were interested in hearing. That's great when you get somebody, tell me about what, what is this Christianity thing that you into. Wouldn't you love having that conversation? He says, tell us again, this new doctrine is of what you speak, for you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Now, the Oropagus, that was a meeting place. It was a hillside above Athens. It was also called Mars Hill. It was a place pretty much for social discourse, debate, discussion. Earlier on, it was called the, uh, uh, the Council of the Oropagus would meet up there. They were the ones that would deal with situations of judicial or legislative nature. That's what it was earlier. But by the time that Paul got there, they pretty much uh, only dealt with things of religion, education, just speaking philosophies of life. And that's why the statement there is where they ask, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak. For you're bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. And then I love it. Luke adds to this. What I, what I look at is kind of a funny statement after setting up the reason why he's up there on Mars Hill. Luke adds in verse 21 there, for all the Athene Athenians and the foreigners who were there, they, they spent their time in nothing else but to tell or to hear some new thing. That, that, that's it. They never did anything about it. They just went up there and discussed it all the time. So here, Paul, he goes to the Oropagus. But guys, he doesn't go there simply to debate with these other men with their philosophies and how Christianity would be better than Epicureanism or Stoicism. No, he doesn't go up there to debate that at all. He goes up there because he wants to make a difference in these people's lives. He wants to make a difference for the kingdom of God. He went there for the sole purpose, I believe, of opening up the hearts of these individuals to the message of the gospel, to share with them salvation that comes from Jesus Christ alone. And when you look at his message, you see, yes, he goes right to the heart of it. God was giving him an opportunity there on the Oropagus, there on Mars Hill, there with these philosophers, philosophers, these highly educated men of their day. God was giving him an opportunity to make a difference in that culture. But you know what? The problem that Paul faced is the same exact problem that you and I face. How do we connect with individuals of a different culture? How do we connect with, with those that not only have a, a, a different mindset and worldview than we do, but how about how do we connect with those that are living an absolutely pagan lifestyle and yet still connect with them with the hope of the gospel? Paul had to deal with that, and you know what? You and I have that before us too. 
If you remember Paul, when he walked into the city, he looked around the city, he observed this, this massive assortment of all these pagan idols, all these God images just about everywhere. As you walk the streets of Athens, it was much harder to find a man than it was to find a God because these little God statues were everywhere. That now, that though, for Paul, in seeing all these idols, all these little statues, that actually for him, that becomes the starting point for his message as he speaks to these educated, these intellectual, but totally pagan group of men. Let's look at the message, verse uh, 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things... You are very religious. Notice he didn't say, I perceive that in all things, you guys are a bunch of pagans. <laughs> Notice he didn't, he didn't say that. No, he's keeping this very, he's connecting with this group. Man, you guys, you guys are really religious. I see that. He says, I passed through and, and I considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription. To the unknown God. Paul's not slamming them here. No, he's just stating the facts, stating the reality. He says, therefore, the one that you worship without knowing, that's the one, him I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshiped with man's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he is made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the, all the face of the earth. Do you understand there? All of mankind as one blood, doing away with any kind of prejudice or division due to ethnicity or any other kind of a background. He says, one man all of one blood. He comes up and as, again, he declares that. He says, he has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being as also some of your own poets have said, by the way, for we are also his offspring. So speaking into their culture, even speaking from one of their poets, draws them in to the message and the hope of the gospel. He goes on, verse 29. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone. Now he's saying, you know, all these things that are shaped by art or man's devisings, all these little idols that you've got around, he's not attacking them. He's just saying, we ought not think that the divine nature is actually like those things, something shaped by art or man's devisings. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked but now commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. Now that's the end of Paul's message right there, by raising him from the dead. Because as soon as he speaks about the resurrection, look what it says, verse 32. 
when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, you know what, we'll hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them was Dionysius the Oropagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. It's amazing to me when I, when I look at this portion of Scripture and Paul's message. It's Paul's method of sharing with those that are totally opposite of his own culture. That are so far stretched away from what Paul's life is. Amazingly simple and yet very powerful. I think it's something that really you and I, if we hope to impact our culture, we need to look at this, we need to study this, we need to understand what's going here because God did use it. And you might look and say, oh, but not very many came to Christ. That's okay. He made an impact on some. I don't care who you witness to. It's only on some that are going to receive that message. Looking at the aspect of his method, really, I'm going to set the message aside for today. I want to look at the method. First of all, Paul speaks to these men in a very kind, a very, a very caring way. He doesn't come in that idea of a, a real in-your-face judgment. You bunch of pagans. You need to turn to the one true God. No, that's not Paul's methodology at all. He comes, man, you guys are really religious. I saw all your idols. Man, you even got one to the unknown God. That's actually the one that I want to speak to you about. You see, there's nothing offensive about that. We worship that one unknown God. We just don't know anything about him. Now he's going to come and explain this to them. So he, he catches their ears. He doesn't come in with judgment. Oh, he will speak with judgment later, but even that judgment is in more of an indirect way. Right now, he seeks to connect with them on some level, not attacking them, not saying they're all going to hell. No, he comes with his honest, with his true connection with them. And again, it allows them to stay tuned in to the message. Guys, if we come in with this judgmental attitude, people will just put up the hand, talk to the hand. I, I don't want to hear what you have to say because suddenly you, you, you've just offended me in every way possible. So let me stop right there. How do we connect with today's culture? How do you personally, as a believer in Jesus Christ, who says that you believe the word of God, you say that you've surrendered your heart and life to Jesus Christ, he is your Lord and your Savior, how do you deal with today's culture? Some of you, you've, you've lived a, a pretty clean and a pretty straight lifestyle most of your life. For some of the rest of us, though, we might have forgotten what our life was before we came to Christ because now we, we're all washed up and we're all cleaned and, you know, everything's fine with us now. And so we forget the past. And maybe, maybe you've built this wall around yourself, kind of a, a wall of security. You want to keep out anything of the world. You don't want to be spoiled by the things of the world. So you build this wall of protection. But in that wall of protection, is it keeping you from touching the hearts and the lives of the people that God brings in your path? Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. 
That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David has been teaching through the book of Acts, introducing you to the early church and how they were radically changed by an encounter with the Holy Spirit. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to let you know how you can listen to more editions of The Open Word. Here's Pastor David. I'm so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. As you know, this broadcast is meant to share with you the hope, grace, and love that can only be found through Jesus Christ. Would you like to listen to more of them? Well, just visit theopenword.com. You'll be directed to our Facebook page where we're adding all of my previous messages for you to listen to for free. Be sure to like and follow that page and feel free to share it with your friends. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David. We'd like to take a moment before we close and ask you to consider partnering with us here at The Open Word. Would you pray for us and for our listeners? We know the enemy attempts to hinder the truth of the gospel from being spread. He will stop at no cost to prevent even one heart from turning to Jesus. Thanks for partnering with us in this, and thanks for listening to The Open Word. Do you live in Casa Grande? If so, we'd love to meet you. Come join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande on Saturday at 6.30 p.m. or Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Directions can be found at theopenword.com. That's all for today. Thanks again for tuning in and for praying for The Open Word.